Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni. Thank you for joining us on Pixel Sift, a show about what it takes to create, uh, especially when it comes to video games, when it comes to interactive experiences. And uh, everyone would know that uh, finding time for yourself is tricky. Um, and finding nice, creative, good outlets for your time while playing games uh, is usually few and far between. Well, the team at Lumi Interactive have just come off the back of a very successful Kickstarter campaign uh, for their new game slash mindfulness app uh, called Kinder World, where you raise plants, share kind notes with other players, and work together for a great social goal. Lauren Clinic from Lumi Interactive sat down with me a short time ago to talk about what it feels like uh, to have that successful campaign behind now and what sort of experiences uh, the team is looking to curate for people uh, to help them find a nice, uh, kind, caring part of the world while on their devices. Let's jump in. Hey there. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. All right, now let's talk about your latest project. It's called Kinder World. It's recently just made through a pretty successful Kickstarter campaign, uh, being funded in the first two days. Can you tell us for people who haven't come across it before, what is Kinder World? So we like to call Kinder World a game of houseplants, healing and practicing kindness. So it's a game that is on mobile and we're going to be launching it into beta in the middle of the year. We currently have it in sort of the prototype or pre-alpha phase and players in the game pretty much look after themselves by looking after a plant and doing nice little things for each other. So very wholesome, very sweet, very much one for houseplant fans, Animal Crossing lovers and the like. Um, can you tell me what is the actual interaction that players will be doing? What, what will you be doing in the game? How much time does it ask of you? Um, what do you do to get the most out of Kinder World? For sure. So by playing Kinder World, players really come in. You're in a really relaxing little space. We want that to be a space that you can customize to be your personal relaxation oasis, so to speak. And so players will come in and they are sort of supported to do little self-kindness activities. So that might be a gratitude journal, a reflection, or noting down what their emotions might be at the time. By doing that, you enrich water and that water helps you take care of the plants. It's not mandatory. So you might come in and just say, look, I just want to look at my plants. I'll give it some just rainwater and just, you know, basically deactivate a little bit, just take a deep breath, have a bit of a mindful moment, uh, or if you're feeling up to it, do some of those kindness activities. That might be all the player hops in to do. We really design it to be something that's almost like a social media blocker. So a lot of our players use it at the start of the day or at the end of the day, instead of looking at something that's very activating or stressful or asks more of them and just basically has a nice moment with the plant instead. That's basically the core loop, but adding on to that, you're also able to uh, send notes to other players. You're able to get sort of just wholesome, nice, general messages of encouragement. And as we add more features, you'll be able to take care of a community garden together or contribute to like world goals, so to speak. So it really is about you first. And then when you're feeling up to it, doing some things for the wider community. How much of that social aspect is kind of tied into it? I see you talking, of course, being, you know, 
person focused and, and focus on your, yourself. Um, but how much of that is a core to the experience um, when, when designing this game? Yeah, so we really look at the almost like the oxygen mask mentality of looking after yourself first. A lot of us have trouble making sure that our cup is filled before we're giving to others. So we really say, you know, have that moment with yourself first. And that was always really important for it to feel good in the individual moment. But then we always knew that for a lot of us, we find it so much easier to take care of others or be kind to others. So we're like, let's bring in the people that love to play healers. Let's bring in the people that love to give gifts in Animal Crossing. Like these people that often struggle to take care of themselves but love doing these things for other people, let's make a space for them. So it was very much hand in hand, knowing that the self-care was the part that was hard, but the being nice to others was a part that was very pleasurable. So we wanted to make sure we really had both. And how do you balance it so that people aren't spending all their time supporting others when they're supposed to be kind of looking after themselves? Yeah, we really consider it like uh, different speeds. So you might come in and feel like, oh, I really want to do this care for, for other players at the time and that's totally okay. But there are some things that you'll only unlock or be able to do once you have taken care of yourself. So it is not, we don't want it to feel like an eating your vegetables kind of situation, but make sure that you know it is encouraged and feels good. But that's what's really great about having all of the basically pre-alpha players that we have. They can let us know what they're liking. Also on the analytics side, we can see where players are spending their time. So if we're worried like, Mm, we might have given them too many things to do for other people. We need to make it feel good to do more for yourself and we'll just make those adjustments as we go. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, how you're sort of re- reacting to the way that people are using using the app? So it's a really funny story. Uh, with, the, with the demo that we've basically put together, uh, everyone loves Sammy the dog. We have a Samoid in the game. Everyone's like, Neil, so cute. I love this dog. And we're really pleased with how much people wanted to spend time with the dog. But Sammy is like your tutorial character. And so when players come into the game, they uh, Sammy greets them at the window and we're like, cool, Sammy will have a little speech bubble there so that players know, let's touch that and, uh, and then basically continue the tutorial. What we didn't realize is uh, <laughs> what we had was with a lot of console games, if someone wants to speak to you, they'll have like an ellipsis in the talking bubble. So they'll have like dot, dot, dot. Um, and so that comes from more of our console hardcore background, but players on mobile just saw it as a loading screen. They saw it as a loading gesture. So lots of people said, my game is, um, frozen on loading and it's not working. We're like, what do you mean? And we looked into it and they're just showing us the talking, the talking bubble. And so just that difference, we're like, oh, we didn't realize we're going to have to change that. And so that's been really fascinating. So people giving feedback on the smallest bits of friction in the tutorial for us and uh, yeah, it's it's just been really fascinating from that perspective. We've gotten a lot of feedback about what feels good, what feels like it still needs some love. And what's great about it is that the prototype that we built was really four intensive weeks of development, but we've still got a lot of people using it every day or using it very regularly and very excited for the updates that we can do now that we've had that Kickstarter success. Can you tell me a little bit more about that sort of design language that you need to think about? Um, because for me, it sort of seems like an app that people potentially who may be not considering themselves as someone who plays games might enjoy? Um, and, and what do you have to do uh, so that it, hit, I guess, ticks the boxes for as many people as you can? Totally. So we have a really set uh, target market consumer in mind. So 
while we are careful to not have very exclusionary practices in the design, we really know the kind of person that it appeals to. And that person has a blend of experience where either they have dropped out of meditation and mindfulness apps, but they understand how to navigate those, or they're more of a gameful kind of player and they come from like an animal crossing sort of a background. So we know what emotional rewards those players are looking for. They're the players that are not motivated by mastery or competition or destruction, but they're really motivated by connection, expression, immersion, things like that. So we do have a very specific kind of player profile that's in mind and we prioritize them and their feedback first. And we try and build a community around this kind of person first. And it's really an emotional landscape kind of thing rather than, oh, you know, it's 30-year-old women in Canada. Like we don't really use that demographic language as much as what the emotional rewards are and what they're looking for there. Does that tend to be someone who is more into the sort of mindfulness sort of apps rather than someone who plays games? We find that it's someone who wants to get something out of the time that they spend. So they're generally not a consumer that is very satisfied playing a hyper-casual game, so to speak, but they also don't sometimes don't see a lot of value in a very hardcore time and resource uh, demanding game like playing Dota or a really complex MMO, for example. There's someone that's like, I'm time poor, I'm stressed out. The time that I spend needs to have some utility for me. So either it's like Animal Crossing and it's my really nice social connection or it's absolutely my wind down game, or is it an app or something else that's teaching me something? So we find that players really like a game experience that feels good and feels cozy and lets them connect with others, but they're most satisfied when they feel like they're getting something out of it and it has a bit of that utility. So they feel like it's practicing mindfulness or they feel like, wow, I'm actually building a gratitude habit for the first time. And that's a really particular kind of game profile because some people are like, I'm purely looking for entertainment or I'm purely looking for social or I'm purely looking for distraction and things like that. So we'd call them like a a utility player. It's got to feel good. It's got to be entertaining. Um, they've got they've got good taste, very particular taste, but they do want to get something out of the time they're spending. One of the things I think about, and, and you sort of mentioned it a little bit there, there are these sort of um, tasks you can come back to. And some of the experiences that make me, in fact, most stressed about thinking about games is things like daily tasks and feeling like there is that sort of either FOMO of missing out on what you're trying to achieve in a game or it cuts into the rest of your life. How do you balance that Um, so that people don't, uh, you know, have that experience. It's a really good question and it's something that we that we look at. So our background is in mobile games and sometimes we have, you know, we've uh, there've been player versus player games and we've had daily push notifications and daily check-ins and streaks and all these kinds of things that are really based around trying to get you to come back. And so we understand how those work. But like you say, the player, the player that we're really prioritizing is really stressed about it. So for us, notifications in game when they get added are purely opt in. They're not just going to be mandatory. And ideally, we want it to be what kinds of notifications do you want? Do you want something that comes with a suggestion for the kindness task we think that you might get something out of today? Do you want it to purely be based on your plant? And we're really looking for it to be as ergonomic as possible. And it's because we're not looking for that long uh, play session. We're not trying to monetize people through ads. We will have in-app purchases and things like that that are purely optional. 
but we feel that rewarded ads are just going to be quite counterintuitive to a relaxing experience. And, you know, as a developer, I've had trouble because when you have uh, ads monetization, whereas it can be a good way to get paid, I can't control the ads that show up. So in previous games that we've made and released, people have been like, hey, there's like boobs and guns in this ad. And I'm like, well, I have done everything I can on the developer side to not have boobs and guns. But, you know, it's really the, the, other, the other ad provider side that, uh, that controls that. So it's all about putting things in and then testing them, putting things in and seeing like, how does our retention go? What are our players saying? What do they like, not like? But we don't, we, we won't have things like um, daily check-in streaks and things like that. The plants can't wither and die. That's a really big thing. So early on, we're like, look, how realistic are the plants? Uh, if plants can die or get diseases or dry out, some people who want a really uh, realistic houseplant experience or want the education to focus on houseplants, they might want that, but we're pretty sure that that's just going to add to anxiety and punishment and, you know, the kind of stress. And I mean, you know, you and I can talk forever in Animal Crossing about the the slight pressure that happens of like, I'm out of Animal Crossing, I'm going to have the smallest social chastisement and now I'm never going back kind of thing that we wanted to avoid. So it was really like really detailed conversations about how realistic are the plants here? Do we put any like any pressure on players? What options do we give them? How do we incentivize them to spend time? And that's really an ongoing conversation. That's true. My island is doing totally fine. No one can ask me any questions about it. I'm sure it is going okay <laughs> right now. Um, I, I want to know, last time we spoke to Lumi, um, we spoke to Katie about Criticlash, the previous game that you were working on. Mm-hmm. I want to know, what are some of the lessons that you learnt from that experience um, that you're bringing into this new game? Totally. So with Criticlash, that was a really great experience for us to learn about live operations. So what is it to operate a really live game? It's a very different kind of genre. How to design and run in-game events. So how do you design something that suits your game universe, but operate it as like a treat or a reward for players like, oh, there's something different in this game I really like. So we've taken a lot of that across. So with Kinder World, even though it is this prototype size we had a lunar new year decoration event where we gave players like a a a themed word and we encouraged them to make a decoration scene basically around that and almost do some journaling and even though uh, it's a really small game and limited decorations people still shared really lovely things with us about that and we saw retention go up and we saw a lot of engagement so that was really really good And uh, other things like players in different regions will surprise you with what they're comfortable with. Not every player in every region is the same. And you do see some norms or expectations being different in different regions. So in Criticlash, we had in-app purchases, we had a battle pass, which was like a subscription, and we had some rewarded ads. And we actually had players that were in uh, Russia, India, and Vietnam say, we want more rewarded ads. Like, please give us more opportunities to play more ads because that was the way that they were accessing resources. Because even with the adjustment for the uh, the cost of living in their countries, there's just so much less of a norm of purchasing IAPs and there's so much more comfort for seeing rewarded ads. Whereas in developer uh basically players that were in like Sweden or Canada, they were always like, I don't want to see rewarded ads. I want the smallest amount. So we ended up operating really different versions of the game in terms of how the monetization worked. And that was actually what the players wanted. I always thought that you had to, 
you know, players would want the minimum ads. So basically saying like, listen to players, but listen to players with a little bit of a cultural context and don't think that you know what they want because you really likely don't. (laughs) How is this going to be paid for? Uh, How are you going to make it work? Uh, What do players need to do in order to uh, get involved? Totally. So the Kickstarter for us was a really good way of testing how would players like to be monetized? What kinds of in-game items would they like? So everyone's like, I really love pets. I want more decoration items. I want more plants. And so the Kickstarter was really helpful from that perspective because it was finding people that are so enthusiastic, they're willing to put money down before they'll even get it directly unlocked in the game. So that really helped us get this community of people that are like, this is how I like to pay for games. This is what makes me feel good. This is why I'm why I'm happy to do this. So the game will have in-app purchases the game will look at something to do with subscription, but that's going to be a careful navigation. So it might be something where you get more meditational mindfulness kinds of content or extra lessons or extra activities for people that are really wanting to have a very structured utility experience. But then there might be like uh, some kind of monetization for the super decorators. So we often look at the mobile game called Suki Adventure. They've got something called Club Moon, which is just $2 a month. It gives people a totally new narrative space. It gives people really nice treats. It gives people more currency. And when we talk to those players, they're so happy about paying that small amount for what they get for it. So we really look at which players feel really happy with their relationship with the developers and how they monetize. And that's really important for anyone who's listening. And it's before, let's say, middle late May this this year, you can also find Kinder World on InDemand, which is like Indiegogo's pre-sales kind of platform. It has most of the rewards from the Kickstarter still available there. So if people listen and they want to get access to all of the updates we're going to release, they want the backer exclusive plan to a pot, you can check it out over there. Before Lumi made games, you were a consulting company, a PR and marketing company. What are some of the lessons that you've learned now that you've actually had to build things yourself? (laughs) Um, I would say that when we were working in the previous space of sort of marketing and PR and interacting with players, it was really valuable because it's basically like you are not the genius. As a developer or designer, you don't have to come down from the mountain with a fully fledged idea and everything's perfect and you're going to get it right. It's more like you need to have a bit of a mad scientist kind of approach to things and be willing to experiment and, you know, put your pride up on the shelf and find a really specific group that has a niche, you know, find a market gap and just make a certain type of person deeply happy. Like if you make a game that is just appealing to a lot of people to a certain degree, you will miss out when they find the thing that makes makes them in love, basically, because we've all got so much choice these days. So I would say there isn't too much that I wish I knew back then because we basically saw the guts of everything. Like we knew how expensive it was. We knew how complicated it was. We knew how difficult or how positive players could be, how difficult consoles and platforms can be. And it really put us into a good position to swap gears and go over into doing uh, game development. So I'm really thankful for those years and for everyone that we worked with because, yeah, we just learned heaps. It was a pleasure. Well, that can quite often be the conversation that people say that, you know, you do might have the world's best game, um, but if it isn't marketed correctly, um, it may not get to the people who are going to love it. Um, do you recommend that people, I mean, maybe this is the choir preaching to the converted, um, but do you recommend that people spend more time thinking about their marketing, about their um, audience before even trying to start making their game or before they start to launch it? 
It really depends on what does this game need to do for you? Like, are you making this game because it's a tool for you to learn something specific, a new engine, something like that? I'd always say, look, just know what your priorities are. But if you're wanting it to be a commercial success that can support a team and get you paid and go on from there, you have to think about, you know, how do you discover games? How do you pay for games? Like, how do you what makes a game so special that you turn around and you tell your friends or you choose to share it on Twitter or whatever the case may be. So I think you need to understand why would anyone love this? And that can be a really vulnerable conversation. But even if you're a developer making a game because you're like, this is the game I want, you need to understand what emotional rewards are you going for? What market gap are you addressing that you weren't able to get? So for example, like a with farming games. There's many, many farming games. A lot of people are like, cool, Stardew Valley, super successful. I like farming games, so I'm going to make a farming game. But for me, it's like, if there are excellent farming experiences, what's the thing that's going to be different for you? So I really enjoyed the Pixel Sift episode that was looking into Coral Island because I feel like that game was like, okay, great. This is Stardew Valley, but this is 3D and this is a tropical flavor and this expands on the romance so much and this almost Disney style of beautiful dreamy art and things. And like that is addressing new things. Whereas I've seen a lot of farming games that are like, well, what's the gap here? You know, what would make me spend the money and spend the time? So I just always say at a concept level, what in your combination is really cool, sexy, spicy, make someone want it. Or is it something that you're just looking to, you know, just make and learn from and release, which I also completely respect as well. Um, a lot of what we do here on Pixel Sift is provide advice to people. And I feel like you're a great person to have on the show just for that reason. Um, what do you do if you've gone a long way through your game development? You've maybe got to the point where people are starting to play it. You've taken to conventions and things are starting to go pretty well. Um, but you, you have that realization that, oh, hang on a second, we, we haven't really got that unique hook. What do you do at that point? It's a really good question. And I think um, you take a lot of psychic damage. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a really vulnerable, really hard thing to sort of say, okay, there's lots of people that say that it's good and people will play it, but I'm struggling to get people who don't know me, don't love me, spend $20 on it or, you know, at, to do pre-orders or anything. I would honestly just take a real pause. I would get all of the team to kind of just take a week off even if it's going to cost you a lot, even if it feels really hard to do, refresh yourselves as much as possible. And each of the teams say like, what part do they feel strongest about in the game? What do they feel most passionate about? Because what can happen along the way is that you can shift gears or shift your focus because of what a console said or what a publisher said, or, you know, even some criticism that you might've gotten from a streamer. And it can make you sort of chop bits off of yourself. And going back to say, what can this game offer that others can't? Or what are the three pillars of this game that we couldn't change? Like if we change one of these three pillars, it's no longer this game. If those three pillars are the same as 10 other games, then you've absolutely got a problem and you just look at changing one of the pillars and which pillar could we change the quickest? Often I'm like, look, how do we, how do we like scope everything down, release it, learn what we can from it, and then go through all of the DNA and make something faster with what we have. So someone might have, you know, made a 3D game that's in Unreal that's farming and they're like, oh crap, we don't have enough of a point of difference here. It's too middling. What would we need to do to make it specific? 
um, and niche enough? And do we care about that? Are we passionate about that? You know, do we want to make it actually a huge fishing focus game or a fossil collecting game or something instead? How difficult or expensive could that be? And basically do a little bit of a risk analysis and probably get a third party to maybe help, like maybe a a developer that um, is successful with the type of player that you want, sit down and just be really brutally honest with you. But it's probably scope it down, ship it as fast as possible, release it, you know, stop spending money on it, don't put good money after bad kind of thing, learn everything you can. And then we're like, cool, we've still got 3D, we've still got art, we've still got all these assets now we're going to make this really different focus game that we are passionate about and kind of, and start again, but start with a rolling, with a rolling start, if that makes sense. Do you think um, it's a good idea for new developers in the industry to just focus on making small deliverable projects, little itch projects, things like that, get them out as many as possible uh, in order to really build up that experience you were just talking about? I definitely do. And it's really common advice for a reason because you learn absolutely heaps by shipping stuff and you go through all of the trauma of shipping. And as people say, it's so hard to finish that last little 5%. That's a big reason why I am in the mobile space. Because for me, when I was young, I was imagining, you know, I'm going to work at Nintendo and I'm going to work on AAA games. And, blah, 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 blah. and like, those are enormous games that take years for the public to be exposed to my work. And if games get canceled, they just get put away. You know, I'm not here to, you know, bash on AAA, but for me, the one time that I worked on something for a really long time and it got cancelled, that was like so devastating. I was like, but I worked late, but I worked on weekends. You know, I sacrificed so much. And now this is, you know, that now this has been cancelled and sort of taken away from me. That gave me so much psychic damage. I was like, I'm never doing that again. So with mobile, you know, we've made this, this four week prototype and now I've had over 30,000 people play it. And I've had all of this feedback like really quickly because we really only started actively developing it in December last year. And it's just really motivating for me to know that every couple of weeks I'm going to release an update. I'm going to see screenshots from people playing it. People are going to leave reviews. That cycle's really very motivating for me. And for the de- for any developers releasing something and actually seeing what people have enjoyed and actually managing to give birth to a game and all the trauma that comes along with that is just super valuable. And you'll learn way, way more and be a much more competent, well-rounded creator than someone who had a labor of love that wasn't released for three years that, you know, really made their health struggle that, you know, all these things that make it really, really difficult. So I'll always recommend tighter, smaller release cycles. And that's a real benefit to being in mobile and what we call live operations where you release and then you update, update, update rather than release and it's kind of out there and then maybe you update it, maybe. I want to ask about you now. The projects you've worked on, at least the last couple, um, your podcast, Wonderfully Done, Body Posse and Our Kinder World, they're all about putting a kinder, more positive image out into the world. Why is that important to you? Uh, because I have to spend eight hours a day uh, doing making making a job, and uh, I want to use it as free therapy, pretty much. So, like, I if I'm spending so much time and energy in a day doing this, I want it to be teaching me something and benefiting me and benefiting my team in some really fundamental, deep way. 
and I don't want to be distracted by my life. I want to be more connected to my life. And actually a lot of other people feel that way. And so that's why we say, you know, we're making joyful games that make the world a kinder place. And, you know, cringe culture is real. Some people are very uncomfortable by us saying that's what we want to do. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can get somewhere if I spend years of eight hour days doing that. So I'm going to friggin' do it. <laughs> What's some of the biggest changes you'd like to see so that uh, one, at least the games industry is a nicer place, but I guess society as a whole. If you're going to solve society, Lauren, how would you solve it? Uh, what can we do better to be better to each other? For sure. I think a lot of people will find that there are actually really kind people out there. What's really difficult is the way that those kind people might treat themselves. So we actually don't have much of an issue whatsoever in the kind of world community with players being kind to each other, needing to be moderated, uh, or the way that they're approaching things. They're actually an exceedingly kind group of people. So for us, finding these people that are actually really inclined and very interested in being kind to each other but struggle to be kind to themselves are actually a beautiful uh, community to serve. What's really important to us is that those people can get better at being kind to themselves so they can last longer, you know, so that they can not get burned out so they can have more energy for themselves because often it's the kindest, nicest of us, the most marginalized of us that burn out and struggle the most. And so amazing kind people are out there and I think honoring them, supporting them, collecting them together, giving them ways to support themselves and support each other is a really meaningful thing that I can do rather than taking nasty toxic boys and trying to rehabilitate them because I'm just not interested in like that free education. But someone who is like, I love baking cookies for everybody else, but I judge myself forever eating cookies because, you know, I'm recovering from an eating disorder and things like that. That's the person that I'm so comfortable sitting down and helping with and making games for and things like that. So just finding those kind people and giving them more rather than more attention to the stinky boys uh, that are nasty. And, you know, I'm going to get accused of misandry and, <laughs> and shit like that. But, like, this is just a certain type of player community that I really, really like to serve. And this is our little space. And, you know, I don't need to put up with every kind of player or every kind of attitude. And supporting a small community in a small way, making someone's day 1% better, that's, you know, that compounds over time. Like, that's the small sustainable interest uh, that I'm looking to keep growing. It kind of reminds me of the early days of the internet when there used to be those really nice little niche communities where people were generally interested in one thing. Usually it'll be some sort of thing that they're, they're a fan of or something like that. Um, but it really feels like that sort of world has started to disappear as the internet becomes more of a public good. I mean, it's extremely a public good now. <laughs> the internet here has been here for a long time. Um, but is that sort of part of the vibe that you're trying to capture with your projects? It is. So we talk a lot as a team about what is the difference between friends and community. So I think it's really important that kind of world, uh, that community doesn't feel like a lot of friends that you need to do emotional labor for. You know, you're obligated to do things for and it's another to-do list. But a lot of us don't actually have the experience of being a part of a nice community anymore. A community is a group that has some shared values. It doesn't mean that you're obligated and you need to do emotional labor or have a lot of one-on-one -on -one relationships, but just feeling like a part of a positive community uh, is a very, very healing thing that a lot of us don't have access to anymore. And so social media feels like 
friendship, but it doesn't really deliver a lot of community experiences. So some games do deliver that community experience. And that's when you see completely uh, benevolent activities, like in an MMO, when someone's like, hey, beginner players, here's a whole bunch of stuff that I've just dropped that's helpful, or I'm just going to help help a random person. Social media doesn't really let you do those sort of community actions very much. So we look at a positive community in a game that doesn't feel like all of the trappings of internet friendship because that's that's experiences delivered in other ways. So we definitely do look at that. And so Discord's a really good example where, you know, your team will also understand that Discord is like a really nice asynchronous chat room. It's more like MSN for those of us that are crusty old dinosaurs. And um, it doesn't feel like you're talking to an audience. Your players can talk to each other. I can see the whole past history of a conversation. It's not manipulated by an algorithm. So it doesn't really support outrage culture. It doesn't really um, have a lot of the issues of fake news and things like that. So we have loved discovering uh, Discord as a community tool that really delivers a community experience, whereas I can't see Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter working for actual community management anymore. So it's it's an ad space. It's a noise space um, that can be pretty easily manipulated, and it's quite difficult for it to provide value to developers I mean, it still has some value for us. I'm not going to chuck it out into the cold, but things like Discord have been a lot better for us. Um, people may be listening to this and thinking it's a very exciting prospect of a nice, kind little space that they can look after for themselves uh, and also look after some cool plants and hopefully connect with others in a, a way as well. Um, when can people uh, play it um, and be able to uh, pick it up and, and, and give it a go? Totally. So if you look up Kinder World Game on the search engine of your choice, I wouldn't recommend Bing, but you know, um, you can play what we call the demo now. So the demo is pretty much the prototype. Uh, you can completely grow a plant. You can get kind messages from other players. You can meet Sammy the dog. So that's totally playable now. We're releasing updates regularly and then a fuller beta will release at the end of June. And then we'll just keep on updating it and graduate to what we'd call like a 1.0 release later in 2021. But you can find it on iOS and Android just by looking up kind world game or kind of world mobile game or you can go to www.lumiinteractive.com lauren it's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you thank you for sharing a nice kind little space on the internet uh, that we hopefully can all enjoy uh, and spend a bit of time looking after each other and ourselves i appreciate you coming on the program my pleasure thanks so much that's lauren clinic from lumi interactive talking about kind of world uh, which is a plant care app a self-care app uh, it's a game that you can play uh, that hopefully carves out a nice little piece of time for you uh, while you're using your phone. Uh, it's available uh, to back. You can get in on the early access if you check out uh, the Kickstarter campaign. If you search for Kinder World Kickstarter, you'll find a, a way that you can back the early access thing. It should be available midway through 2021. You can also check out Lauren's podcast uh, as well, uh, which is about sex positivity. It's called Wonderfully Done, uh, if you're interested in looking uh, and hearing more about that sort of thing as well. My name is Gianni. Uh, I'm the executive producer of Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift is produced by Adam Christo, Sarah Ireland, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Scott Quigg, Mitchell Lowe is our senior producer.
If you like this, you can find more stories about what it takes to make games in Australia and around the world on our website. That website is pixelsift.com.au, uh, where you'll find videos, you'll find other podcasts, you'll find articles, and much, much more. And while you're online, speaking of kind and creative and sharing communities, why not join the Pixelsift community as well? Uh, you can do that on Discord. Uh, where we have a whole bunch of developers, a whole bunch of people who play games, who talk uh, about their experiences of interactivity and uh, just share their work about what they're doing, what the cool stuff they're doing on there. Um, it's a great place. We'd love to have you there. It's pixelsift.com.au forward slash discord. That address again is pixelsift.com.au forward slash discord. You can follow Pixelsift. Uh, on your podcast player of choice. It doesn't cost anything uh, to get every single episode we make for free. Uh, just hit the follow button and whatever you like to listen on. We've also got another podcast called Mainstream where we talk about uh, some of the high-profile games uh, that we play uh, that you can uh, hear about our experiences there. But we also talk to people who are working in that AAA space, uh, some of those really interesting stuff like in the worlds of esports, uh, and other things like that. So that's called Mainstream. So search for those in your podcast players, hit follow, and get every episode for free. Until next time, have fun. Have fun.